are all God's craftsmanship, his handiwork. We are vessels he molds for his glory, for his work, and he is making all things new. He is redeeming all things, and he is restoring hope, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness in us. He is resurrecting our former broken and sullied lives into lives worth living, lives worthy of his name, lives transformed by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. In short, we are who he says we are. You, me, us, we, we are. We are resurrection people. Hey friends, I am so honored to get to be the person who gets to close out this We Are Resurrection People series. It has been a great journey uh, to this point. We kind of hit that high point at Easter where we celebrated that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and then we've spent the next few weeks after that really digging into what does that mean for us as resurrection people. I want to shout out to our friends at Bettendorf, the men at Kiwani, if you're joining us online, and for those of you here at Rock Island, and just invite you to be in a space where the song that we just sang about, where chains fall and fear bows here now because of Jesus, that that space is possible. And that's the space of encounter that we're going to enter into as we talk about the reality that we, we, my friends, are resurrection people. We've been anchoring this series in Romans 8, 11, and I just want to make sure that we're firmly in that space. And I'm just going to paraphrase it, but here it is. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of us, and that is good news, and it changes everything for us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And so resurrection makes our lives a place where God's glory is on display. But here's the challenging thing about resurrection and the place where I think we often struggle. We don't need a resurrection unless we've experienced a death. You see, there's no resurrection without coming to a place of death. And that's why I think Paul in Philippians 3 encourages us in this way. He says, I want to know Christ. And I think that as we gather together as the people of Christ, we can say, yeah, I want to know Christ. And we want to know the power of his resurrection. That sounds good. That sounds amazing. But then Paul goes on to say this, and to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him, like Christ in his death, and so somehow in that to attain to the resurrection of the dead. There's a quote that we've been kind of going back to throughout this series that I just want to ground us in a little bit. It's by Barbara Johnson, and it says this, we are Easter people living in a Good Friday 
world. You see, we don't have to look far to understand and to know that our world is broken and that the world breaks all of us. There are Good Friday elements everywhere we look, war, violence, grief, pain, disease, hardship, persecution, oppression, prejudice. The list could go on and on. The world that we live in, my friends, is not the one that we were created for. We were created for the Garden of Eden. And then we know that sin entered that space and broke what the Creator intended for us. And so we live in a Good Friday world, a world marked by brokenness, and yet we can know hope. The hope that we have is because we are people who can know healing and restoration and resurrection because of the miracle of Easter. This is our invitation to live as Easter people in a Good Friday world. Today we're going to walk with the disciples in this season of Eastertide. Eastertide is these about 40 days where Jesus had he'd risen from the dead. He's not yet ascended to heaven. And he spends 40 days appearing to different people, proclaiming the power of resurrection that it was at work in him. And so this is where we read about Jesus showing up on the road to Emmaus and showing up in the garden to Mary Magdalene. And we're going to be with the disciples in John chapter 20 when they encounter Jesus, the risen Jesus. And so it's in the wake of the crucifixion, the disciples are living in fear. If you'll remember at this time, Israel was in a state of occupation and oppression. And I would have no doubt that the Jewish leaders were feeling pretty proud of themselves because their plot to kill Jesus had been successful. And so Jesus' followers were were anxious and fearful about what would happen to them because they had gone all in on Jesus being the Messiah. And so they were identified as followers of Jesus. And so they're, they're shut up in a room um, they locked the doors, and it says, the scripture tells us that they were in fear and anxiety. We're going to look at the scripture, John 20, starting in verse 19. It's the evening of the first day of the week. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came, and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now I want to do something a little bit different. For centuries, the churches engaged in a practice called Lectio Divina, just means divine reading. And it's where you sit with scripture and you have it read over you and you, you just get still with Holy Spirit and you allow that scripture to speak to you without somebody up front saying, hey, this is what this scripture means for you. We're going to get to that where I'm going to offer up some things that I believe Holy Spirit might have for us in scripture. But I want to give Holy Spirit some moments for you just to have this scripture read over you. I want you to close your eyes and imagine that you are one of those disciples. You are in that room. Go ahead and feel whatever fear and anxiety you might be feeling. 
feel whatever Good Friday brokenness you brought into this space. You're in that room. And as I read this, I want you to kind of be open to what Holy Spirit might want to speak to your own heart through the words of Jesus. It's the evening of the first day of the week, and the disciples are together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came, and he stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The first thing that Jesus does in this space is that he greets the disciples with peace. You see, in the midst of our Good Friday reality, Jesus always invites us into a place of peace. Not peace like the world gives, but peace as only he can give it. The peace that we experience when we choose to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. And some of you came in here with heaviness. Some of you came in with the realities of your Good Friday world crashing in on you, and you just need to have peace spoken over you. Peace that your good shepherd, your loving father, has got you in the palm of his hands and he sees you and he cares. Peace. The second thing that Jesus invites his disciples to do is to verify that he is in fact their risen, resurrected rabbi by showing them his hands and his side. Which I just love this, because here's the deal. Jesus was dead and resurrected. Okay, so it's a miracle. There could have been an additional miracle that Jesus was in a perfect body. Jesus was already in a body that could move, that could go through walls and show up in a locked room, that could be over here on the road to Emmaus, that could be, so like Jesus already had a supernatural thing going on at this point. But Jesus chooses to still be in his wounded and scarred body so that his disciples could verify that it's the same guy, that it's the same Jesus that hung on the cross where he would have had nails pierce him, where his arm joins his hand here and here. He'd have nail-scarred feet. We know that he had a wound in his side because he died so quickly. The Roman soldiers were like, man, this is unusual that this guy would already be dead. So they took a spear and they pierced him in his side. And it says, scripture says that blood and water flowed out. You see, the scars of Jesus were evidence of resurrection power at work inside of Jesus. That's your first fill-in if you're following along in your note guide. The scars of Jesus were evidence of the resurrection power that was working in him and through him. And so Jesus invites them to look and verify, yep, 
Look at me, look at my scars. He disrobes so they can see. Jesus greets them with peace. He meets them in their humanity. And then he sends them out, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me. That means in the same way that God sent me, Jesus, I am sending you. But he doesn't send them alone. See, I think one of the reasons the disciples are struggling right now is because they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. They had had the presence of Jesus with them. Jesus died, was resurrected, and then when he shows up to them, one of the reasons that he comes is to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus does this, and he blows the breath of Holy Spirit out into the space and into them. He does it again. Holy Spirit comes, if you'll remember, at Pentecost. Jesus ascends to heaven. Holy Spirit comes down on the room with the followers of Jesus who are gathered. And Holy Spirit comes to us in the same way. When we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and we say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, wash me clean, whiter than snow. Jesus is like, yes, come to me. And Jesus blows breath of Holy Spirit into us in that moment. Romans 8 assures us that when we have a relationship with Jesus, we have the deposit of Holy Spirit inside of us that tells us we are beloved sons and daughters of the King. And because of that, we can call God our Abba, our Daddy, our Father. The power and presence of Holy Spirit in our lives should change everything. It's the power of Holy Spirit in our lives that takes our wounds and Holy Spirit heals them and turns them into scars if we'll allow Holy Spirit to do that. And we know that two of the disciples were not present with that group that had gathered. We know that Judas wasn't there. Judas had given in to a spirit of suicide and despair. I think Judas was so distraught at how he had betrayed Jesus, he gave into the lies of the enemy that said, you can never be forgiven for for this. You can never come back from this. Your relationship with Jesus is ruined forever. And Judas believed those lies, and he gave into that spirit of suicide, and he killed himself. And my friends, I want you to know that that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can do that will ever separate you from the love of Christ. There is no sin, there is no, there is no brokenness so big, so deep, so far, so gross, that Holy Spirit cannot mend that and restore that and resurrect that into beautiful relationship with Jesus. Now, the other disciple that wasn't there was Thomas, and we don't know why he wasn't there, but Thomas struggled. Thomas heard the disciples say, hey, man, Jesus showed up. It was awesome. He breathed the Holy Spirit on us. He showed us his scars, and Thomas is like, I'm not really sure that I can get behind that. That sounds crazy to me. In John 20, verse 27, this is the exchange between Jesus and Thomas, because Jesus Jesus decides to come and show himself to Thomas. Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. 
See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I love Jesus' individual attention for Thomas. It is a great reminder to us that Jesus is big enough for our doubts. He's big enough for our questions. He's big enough for the truth of wherever we are struggling. And as big and huge and and mighty and powerful as Jesus is, he's also individual and intimate in his relationship and his attention to us. And so we don't have to fake it until we make it. We can be honest with God where we are struggling. Jesus was sent to die and rise again, and his scars are what bear witness to the power of resurrection. How awesome that we are sent in the same way that Jesus was. But it requires us to die to ourselves, to our plans, to our pain, to our agenda, to our sin, and to be resurrected with the breath of Holy Spirit. Our scars, where brokenness has had its way with us, are what bear witness to the resurrection power in the very same way that Jesus' scars did. And yet here's where we struggle. So many of us want to hide our scars. And we're really good at it. We're really good at the facade that everything is awesome. And yet the invitation is to wear our scars proudly, not because of us, but because of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Scars come to us in many forms. Some of us have physical scars. Some of us have emotional scars, maybe from abuse or trauma. Some of us have mental scars and struggle with mental illness or depression. Some of us have relational scars. Where we have relationships that have hurt us, that have let us down. Still others of us bear spiritual scars. But our invitation is to point to our scars and invite people into relationship with the one who healed our wounds. One of the, one of the great things that it's just been an awesome privilege to get to do during this series is to hear more resurrection stories, more people within our Heritage Church family sharing their story of how God took a wound and healed it and made it a scar. And what a gift that they've been willing to point to those scars as the power of resurrection inside of them to encourage us To let us know, hey, if you're struggling with that thing, you're not the only one. You're not alone. To give us hope that Holy Spirit can work. I'm grateful for Jenny. She's a member of our heritage family, and she's going to share with us a beautiful story of resurrection. So take a look at the screens, and we'll come back and kind of talk about how her story connects to us in just a few moments. in high 
high school, I dealt a lot with um, depression. I did a lot of self-harm in high school, just felt really alone, sad, not wanted. Um, felt like I wasn't enough, like I wasn't good enough. Like I just woke up every day wanting to die. Came up with thought of different ways of how to end it. Not because I wanted to like end my life, but I wanted those negative feelings and ideas to end. Um, I can't really explain why I have depression. It just affects me. Um, and at that time, I felt like I didn't really have anyone to talk to. I didn't want to burden anyone else. I started getting back on the right track after I went to counseling. Um, started thinking better about myself, starting getting more positive, but I felt like something was still missing. Um, my senior year came around and I got into this relationship and he didn't go to church or anything like that. And we dated for about a year and things didn't end very well. And that's when I went back into my depression. I was going to grad school at the time and I didn't even want to do my homework. Like I, it took everything in me to just get up off the couch and like go make myself some food or take a shower. My friend and coworker at Jefferson, Hannah May, uh, she was like, hey, you know what? Like, why don't you just come to Heritage? And so I did. Ever since I stepped through the doors, like God just knew what I needed at that point in my life, that I needed to be reconnected with him, that I needed to build my relationship with him. Like I had talked to Justin and we were talking about like our past history, like my depression, my suicide attempt, self-harm. And he talked to me about be being saved. And I was like, yeah, I'm not really sure. Like maybe in a few months, that next weekend, uh, after one church service, it was a Saturday night. I can just remember the feeling of like, this is it. Um, I saw Justin in the lobby at the Bettendorf campus and I was like, it's time. And he called over his wife, Jesse, and they prayed over me and I was saved that night. I got baptized last summer at the river and I haven't looked back since because this is me making a public commitment to not only others, but to God and myself that this is where I wanna be with the rest of my life that no matter what happens, no matter if I make mistakes or think badly of myself or don't think I'm enough, I'm enough in him. And that's all that matters. Like, he truly has changed my heart for the better. I mean, I still have bad days. I don't know why I have depression. I don't want it. I don't like it. I didn't have a traumatic childhood, but I know that no matter what, I can always turn to God. He is my father, he's my best friend. If I can't be completely vulnerable and honest with him, who can I be? Looking back on my past, like God had his hand on everything. It's his story. And like just sitting and realizing, like having an epiphany of like how much he has changed me. Like I would not be able to do this alone. There's no way because of God showing me his love and compassion every day when I didn't think I deserved it. That changed not only my mind, but my heart. And now I'm blessed that 
I have a story that I get to share with people and tell them that they're not alone. They're not alone. My name is Jenny Yancey, and this is my resurrection story. I love Jenny's story. I love how, how proudly she reminds us out of her own journey that we're never alone, that, that she is enough and that we are enough in him through the power of Holy Spirit at work in us. In which she talked about her life now being his story. That's the invitation for all of us. So, so God has clearly worked a resurrection miracle in Jenny's life. And she's on a totally different path than she was just a few years ago. I think sometimes, though, we struggle and we, we start to doubt that, that Holy Spirit can actually work a resurrection miracle for us. Because we run, we run into some Good Friday reality that feels too big, too massive, too crushing for us. And so that begins to define our reality of what we think is possible. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is beginning his ministry, there's an account of Jesus. He comes to a, syn a synagogue in Nazareth, which was his hometown. Now, as was the time of the day, they would have been reading, they would do a daily reading from the Torah and a daily reading from the prophecies. And so Jesus just happens to be in this synagogue on this day. And the scroll that is to be read is from Isaiah 61. So I want us to look at that passage of scripture together. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1b. And this is how Jesus is really announcing the beginning of his ministry. And he starts it like this. He said, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So Jesus is talking about God, that God has sent him. Now, if you'll remember John 20, 21, Jesus said, in the same way that God sent me, I am sending you. And so as much as Jesus came to do all of this, we are also invited to be a part of this work. God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And so if you can imagine this, Jesus reads these scriptures. And then he says to all who had gathered, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And he sits down. It's the equivalent of a mic drop. Boom. Jesus said, this prophecy is now fulfilled. And so from that day to this, 
Jesus came and comes to bring us healing and freedom and comfort and joy and restoration and provision and hope. And we are ambassadors of this same message to the world around us, to the Good Friday world that we live in. We bring hope and healing and freedom and comfort and joy and restoration because we are resurrection people who live in freedom and joy. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about the fruit of the Spirit, that as we submit to the work of Holy Spirit in our lives, our lives start to look like joy and peace and gentleness and all the fruits of the Spirit. And as resurrection people, our lives should also be marked by freedom and joy. But we have to fight to remind ourselves of this truth. Because the world wants to see us enslaved to addiction, to fear, to worry, to comfort, to financial prosperity. Like name a lesser thing that the world wants to enslave us to, that the world wants us to compromise our freedom for. And that's where the struggle is. And so we have to remind ourselves that we are resurrection people who are invited to live in freedom and joy. Henry Nouwen said this, one of the tragedies of our life is that we keep forgetting who we are. It is so easy to lose our identity that's meant to be formed in Jesus. And so we have to remind ourselves and we need the community to remind us also, one of the great things about Jenny's story is that it didn't happen in isolation. It happened out of a relationship where somebody invited her to church. And then she got connected with an older woman, a mentor at church, who lovingly walked with her. And she got connected into a small group, a community of people who were on journey together. It is so important that we remind each other that we are resurrection people who live in freedom and joy. James, the brother of John, writes about joy. And he says this in James 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's one of those crazy invitations to, to when we see trials coming, to welcome them with joy. And I think the secret to this is that we welcome the trial because it's an opportunity for much to be made of Holy Spirit in us. It's an opportunity for our character to grow and to be developed. We're going to face trials because of the Good Friday world that we live in, we're gonna encounter brokenness. But my friends, we can take courage because the Holy Spirit's presence assures us that even death does not have the final word. There is no death that we will confront in this life that has more power than Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. No death. No trauma, 
no relationship, no dream, no grief, no brokenness is so far gone that Holy Spirit cannot work resurrection in it. And some of you are sitting in the ashes and you're finding that hard to believe. You're looking in the ashes of a dream. Maybe you're sitting in the ashes of of a relationship with a child who's far from the Lord and your heart just aches that you're here by yourself. Or maybe you're sitting in the ashes of your marriage and you're going, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if Holy Spirit can actually work a resurrection miracle in this. My friends, I want to encourage you that that is the Holy Spirit's specialty. It's when we come to the end of ourselves so often and we actually just let the thing die and sit in the ashes. It's okay to be in the ashes. Jesus sees you in the ashes and sits with you and says, I'm working a crown of beauty. I'm working restoration and healing in your wounds if you'll just present them to me and let me make them scars. Some of the most beautiful blessings in my own life are ones that I have received only after I let the dream of them die. In our infertility journey, it was really only when I let my dream of having children die that Holy Spirit saw fit to work in our lives a resurrection miracle of two beautiful boys who are now two fine young men. And I know that's not the journey for everyone, and I feel so incredibly blessed and so aware that I am merrily stewarding them because it wasn't anything that we could do. It wasn't anything that we could fix. And I think, I think God must have known that I might have parented like they were actually my children and that I could do something to make them into what I thought maybe they should be. And so Holy Spirit wanted to make it so clear that they're his children and I just am stewarding them. So that dream for me had to die to be resurrected into something even better. I know also in my own journey, I've talked to so many of you and Sean and I have been married almost 27 years and and you get to see just snippets of our marriage. And so I think a lot of people are like, oh, they have such a great marriage. And we do most of the time. It's pretty good. But it hasn't always been. We came to a point in our marriage where I was so wounded coming into that space of marriage and had not really let Holy Spirit work in my life to heal me that we came to a point in our marriage where the dream of what we thought marriage would be and our love for each other had to die. And I would have given us a 20% chance that we were going to make it at that point. And so we sat in the ashes of our marriage and we invited Holy Spirit to do a resurrection miracle. Should Holy Spirit want to do that? And of course, Holy Spirit always wants to do that. So we've actually had to work really hard at our marriage. I'm a firm believer in counseling. If you think you can fix your marriage on your own, you can't. You need Holy Spirit, and you also need good people outside of your marriage to tell you when you're being boneheaded. I'm so, so glad that we were willing 
to just go ahead and sit in the ashes and let it die so the Holy Spirit could work something far better. Being a partner with my husband, serving with him in ministry, going through life with him is one of the great joys of my life. But it's not because of me and it's not because of him. It's because the Holy Spirit working itself out in and through our marriage. Being a pastor in ministry and church settings over the last 20 years has been one of the most beautiful things that I've gotten to be a part of and one of the most horrible. The wounding that has come through ministry, the dreams that have had to die of what I thought it would look like to serve his church, man, that's been a place of of being humbled and having to sit in the ashes over and over and over again and make completely sure that there is nothing, that, I, that, that anything that comes out of ministry is just Holy Spirit in me. It is not me. It is just Holy Spirit working in my life for Holy Spirit's honor and glory, the opportunity to point people to the scars and to say, look, Don't look at me, just look at the scars and give glory to the Holy Spirit in me because it's the same Holy Spirit in you that wants to work a resurrection miracle. James 1.12 tells us this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. My friends, do not give up. You might be sitting in the ashes and feel like, man, this is a long time. Don't give up. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So here, here's where we sit in this Easter tide. Some of us need to let Holy Spirit heal our wounds so that they can actually become scars. So whatever that thing is that you're holding on to, this is a space, this is a time to surrender that to Holy Spirit. For others of us, we we actually have the scars, but we've become so used to hiding them and even, even hiding them from ourselves and not living in the present reality that we need to go back to this question, what scars in your life are evidences of the power of resurrection. Where can you point in your life to a place of healing that bears witness to the power of Holy Spirit's resurrecting work in your life? And here's the follow-on question. Who do you need to share that with? Because a lot of times, when we, when we journey back into that place of scarring and then we actually go out and live our lives on purpose with the intent of sharing our lives as a story, as an open book of God's grace and mercy at work in our life, if we'll look around in our spheres of influence, God will send the people to us who need to hear that story, who need to see that scar that will give them hope if we'll look, if we'll be willing to be courageous and step out into those moments. In just a few minutes, we're going to be receiving communion. And so I want us to begin to prepare our hearts. It's such a great, powerful way to close out our We Are Resurrection People series. 
here at Heritage, all are invited to take communion who are Christ followers of Jesus. You don't have to be a member here at Heritage. After I pray, the ushers are going to pass the elements around and the cups are double stacked. There's a wafer and some juice and so you're going to want to pull out two cups. And we're going to invite you to actually take communion on your own. There's going to be a song that's going to be sung over us about scars. And it talks about Jesus' scars and being thankful for his scars and for our scars. Because our scars and our brokenness is what has brought us into relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to just invite you to be in a space of allowing Holy Spirit to minister to you wherever you're at, and then take communion on your own as that song is being sung. If you need gluten-free communion, that's available at the back of our worship center at all of our locations. What a beautiful reminder of Jesus' sacrifice, of his love for us, that he was wounded and crushed and bruised and battered because of our sins. He allowed his body, his body to be broken as this bread is so that we could have relationship with him. And so when we take the bread, I invite you to think about Jesus' scarred hands, his side, his feet. And the reality that the Holy Spirit that it was at work in Jesus to raise him from the dead is the same one that works inside of us. And be grateful. In Jesus' last supper and his moments with the disciples, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood which will be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink this cup, remember the new covenant, remember the covenant that I have made with you. And so as you drink the juice, receive it and remember Jesus' blood shed for you. And be grateful. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come to you as a grateful people. Undeserving. And yet so grateful, Father, that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, to die for us. Jesus, that you would be willing to be obedient to death on a cross because of love. Jesus, allow that love to just well up in us as we receive it from you even now. Holy Spirit, we are so thankful that we were not left as orphans, that your spirit is breathed into us when we begin relationship with you. And so as we eat this bread and drink this cup, may we be reminded of your presence within us and may you empower us to live as resurrection people.
Oh, how we love you. We are so grateful for your scars. It is by your wounds that we are healed. And we receive this gift in the name of Jesus who we love. Amen.